Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's been a long time since I've welcomed you to the show, so I want to make sure you knew you were still welcome. Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, I, I do feel like I'm welcome because I kind of, I mean, to be fair, it's kind of my my show more yeah i've been looking more for, than yours i've really? reached out to some other doctors to see if there's just like any sort of interest and just know oh you have yeah have you other kinds of doctors like mm-hmm. dr feelgood you know that guy he's probably got some stories love to chat uh-huh. with him dr oz so maybe i should start reaching out to some other people who know absolutely nothing about medicine good and luck. see if they want to good luck finding anyone that knows little about medicine <laughs> as i do you'll never find that That's um fair. so what are we doing this week sid well, Justin, I, I thought it was about time for us to do another question and answer episode. Oh, because... fantastic. I love it. I think these are public. You know what? I, I would label the public service. That's what I, I think <laughs> these are a service we do. Well, I think they're a fun. With ads in the middle. And, and let me say, as always, these are not meant to be medical advice episodes. My dad already said that. Right. Well, I just like to clarify because we're saying it's a question and answer episode. Right. These are more... Kind of your wacky medical slash science questions, um, just out of interest, but common not, interest. Not anything you should act on. No, no. As always, if you are seeking true medical advice because of a problem you're having, please go see your physician. Yeah. So uh, here is our first question, Sydney. Are you ready? Yes. Does gasoline do anything to inhibit inflammation when applied to a bee sting? That's from Jessica. This is a great question because I will see, uh, I have personally, and then I have heard many stories of patients putting gasoline or kerosene is the other big one on bee stings, poison ivy, uh, any any kind of insect sting or bite, you know, spider bites or mosquito bites or anything. I see that a lot and I I'm fascinated by it because I don't know where these ideas originally came from. Mm -hmm. I think they're more of a like I have tied them to our area, to our region, because I see them a lot in some of the more rural populations Mm -hmm. in Appalachia. But I don't don't think that's necessarily true. I think this is widespread. We don't know where Jessica lives. She could live next door to us. We're fairly insular people. That's true. That's true. But I but I do. I realize as I've read about this, this is not just a local phenomenon, as I assumed. Um, But let me tell you, gasoline will probably not help your bee sting. Oh, man. 
I mean, that's what I predicted, but it's such a bummer to find out that's true. I started. What am I going to do with all this gasoline? I started reading to figure out why why that thought process is there. And for a lot of people, it hinges on the ethanol that is present in gasoline. Mm-hmm. They that the belief that ethanol will somehow reduce the inflammation and that that's the active ingredient that you're actually getting the benefit from. The problem with that is twofold. One. I have now read a lot about ethanol and gasoline in the United States. In every country, it's different. So depending on where you are, there's a different amount of ethanol in your mm-hmm. gasoline. And in the United States, it's up to 10%. So that is that is intentionally vague. There, is, I have no idea how much ethanol is in the gasoline that you're putting on your bee sting. Mm-hmm. You don't either. We don't know. The government doesn't want us to know. That being said, ethanol doesn't reduce inflammation. It could kill germs, I guess. Yeah. Could disinfect it. Alcohol does that. Uh, but I don't know why gasoline would be your chosen vehicle. You can do like rubbing alcohol, right? Right. There are lots of ways to get alcohol onto your skin. Everclear. Yeah. Maybe just vodka if you have it or something. There's Because, I mean, if you're thinking 10% ethanol and gasoline versus 30, 40% alcohol in like any liquor you have on your shelf. And it's all just so flammable. I mean, like, it's just all of it is highly flammable. <laughs> There's the other thing. You could accidentally catch yourself on fire. That. So gasoline won't help your bee sting and it may catch you on fire. So and now ethanol doesn't. Does the ethanol work, though? Like I said, ethanol can, I mean, it kills, We alcohol is commonly used in hand sanitizer and other things to kill germs, right? To right. kill bacteria on our hands. And so ethanol can clean if you're worried like your bee sting is dirty, <laughs> it might help clean germs out. I don't know why you're worried about that. But no, it's not going to do anything else. It's not going to reduce inflammation. It's not going to fix the bee sting. Now, this next question I have for you, Sid, we kind of already know the answer to because we uh, uh, we we dealt with it briefly in last week's episode. Uh, but I, I'm going to ask anyway from Deanna, is it possible to get a disease you have been vaccinated for? Well, Deanna, yes, it is. As I as I mentioned last you proved week, scientifically <laughs> during your experiments, Sydney gets the flu. I wanted to make sure that I understood this problem fully. So I got the flu vaccine and then I did, in fact, get the flu. Yes, um, I'm, I, I want to preface by saying vaccines are amazing. They are a triumph of the human will. And I will never I will never be on the opposite side of I I don't ever want to be accused of slagging off vaccines. Okay. Okay. But the truth is, no, they're not 100 percent effective for every person in every disease case. Obviously, they're not. Um, The flu vaccine is a great example. The while the speculation about the 10 percent effectiveness in the U.S. is not true. It probably is higher than that at the end of the day. It's not 100% effective, and you can still get the flu even if you've been vaccinated for it. The reason for that, and we've kind of talked about this before, is how a vaccine works. So generally speaking, a vaccine has a piece of a bacteria or a virus in it that you get exposed, that your immune system gets exposed to that, and then you start generating antibodies against it, right? Mm -hmm. So that when you get exposed to the actual virus or bacteria, your body already has the army in place to fight it. Correct. And you don't get sick. Understood. That immune response, while we can generalize what it will be for most humans, it's not, everybody's not the same. So in people with certain disease states or immunodeficiencies or on certain drugs or just certain genetic makeup, they might not respond. 
in which case you got the vaccines, but your body never made that army. So when you get exposed to the disease, you still get it. But sometimes your body makes like a crappy army, like a ragtag <laughs> band of like the expendables, except like uh-huh. bad, like a bad army. How does that? What? Well, because then it's like it sort of helps, but it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, the, it, like if you're talking about like some cross reactivity, it made an army that really wasn't fit for that invader but they they're hi- gonna do their best anyway they hired like the marines but then they can't the disease came via air and the marines are like oops i, I don't know we'll I guess do I our best that, from no they they probably all have planes I, yeah. I don't know anything about the armed services i'm sorry but like if you know I mean, about I think the, armed the services, army now the because the like the army would have been a better choice yeah but see like because the, now the air force is set because it used to be the army air corps but now it's the air force so is her separate don't I have no, we don't know. Don't know. Don't know. We don't know. Anyway, the point is, no, vaccines are not 100% effective in everybody. Um, That doesn't mean you shouldn't get them because they work in most people. And why not? Yeah, why not? It's like five minutes at Rite Aid. Just go get it and move on with your life. Go get your vaccines. They're still, unless your doctor has told you not to for some reason. They're, they're very important. And if you're worried as to whether or not you got an immune response, and most people don't do this, let me say this, this is not standard practice, but for myself as a physician, I had to go get antibody titers drawn, meaning they took my blood and they looked to see if I had made the response I needed to, to certain diseases before they let me start practicing medicine. Because if I didn't have that antibody response, they would have given me booster vaccines to try to get my body to respond. Mm-hmm. So... There is a way to find out, but that's not like a standard thing. I'm not saying go ask your doctor for antibody titers. Not everybody needs those. And they're really expensive. Um, I have a question for you, Sydney. Well, Stanley does, and I'm conveying it to you because we're in the same room. Okay. Why does chemo cause hair to fall out? This is a good question. and it's... Thank you so much. I am actually going to take credit for it now. If it's oh, a good are you? One, it's and, mine. No, this is a good question. I, I, this is a common question, actually. So... There are certain, not all chemotherapy will cause your hair to fall out. That's an important thing to know first. But there are many chemotherapeutic agents. Um, generally, we're, I mean, we're talking about treatments for cancer that can make your hair fall out. And not just the hair on your head, your eyebrows or your eyelashes or hair on other areas of your body can fall out as well. The reason for this is the way that these drugs work. Chemo drugs, not all of them, but the ones we're talking about tend to target fast-growing cells and that is because cancer cells are fast-growing cells Mm -hmm. now the problem with that is that there are other fast-growing cells in your body that aren't cancer cells the cells at your hair roots those are fast-growing the cells that line your gi tract are Mm fast-growing so that's why when you're on certain chemo drugs you can see side effects like hair loss because those cells are being damaged or nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, because the cells that line your GI tract are being damaged. Hmm. So it's, a, it's an unfortunate kind of collateral damage that is happening as we're trying to target the cancer cells. Um, that being said, most of the time, these side effects are transient and your hair will grow back after you complete the chemotherapy. Okay. So for most patients, this is something that, while it can be very life-altering while you're dealing with it, is a time limited thing. And hopefully if the chemo drugs do what they're supposed to do, will be worth it in the long run. This is also why cancer researchers are constantly working to come up with new drugs that are more targeted and less toxic so that there won't be so much of a trade-off for cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. So 
Okay. Well, I understand that now. Wow, man, it's nice to have one that I can actually like really get. It was a relief when I learned that in med school because I found it very... Okay, I understand oh, that. Yeah, that makes sense. There's so many things you learn in med school and they say it and you're staring at them going, I heard all those words, but I don't understand what you just said. And it was one of those things where I went, oh. Okay. That's weird. It's That must be a weird feeling. I've never actually experienced that while recording Sawbones, but I can imagine that would be very disconcerting to have mm-hmm. the feeling that you're hearing a lot of words that you may not completely understand. It's hard. I mean... Yeah, I can imagine. It's it's chilling. You you've never experienced this? Mm, never? Mm, next never? question. Next question. <laughs> Would a person with situs and versus Speaking of words you don't understand. <laughs> all right. All right, Cyril. All right. You can just <laughs> pipe down. Let me do my limited portion of uh-huh. the program. Uh-huh. Situs and versus require a donated organ to also come from a situs and versus donor. And that's from Jen. Jen, now pretend that the audience, I mean, the audience doesn't know what situs and versus is. Obviously, I do, but <laughs> I would rather you explain it because I kind of have my own mm-hmm. way of understanding it. And I think your perspective would probably be better. And I don't want to embarrass you if mine is like really good. Uh, this is this is one of those where the, the words may sound difficult to comprehend. But when I explain it to you, it's actually pretty easy to understand. <clears throat> Situs inversus, or situs inversus totalis, sometimes it's called, is simply the reversal of several of your internal organs so that they are positioned mirror image to where they are in most humans. So your heart, your lungs, your liver, and your digestive organs are just flipped to the other side. Okay. They're just the opposite of where they are in most people. Okay. And that works? Yeah, it still works. Everything works. It's just... On the opposite side. Okay. Uh, and it, when it when we're talking about, there are other conditions where this can also be associated with them, and there are other issues there. But if we're talking about just purely situs and versus totalis, why would that happen? It just it's just random. So they're not even sure if it's hereditary. They've seen some familial kind of cases, like it seemed to run in families, but not always. So it just happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you like, it, so it, change it's, in embryonic development. It, yeah, or like if you're kind of a higher power person, maybe God just like ah, check this out, no, n- nothing but net, no look behind the back. And it, I can, I mean, if that's the case, I can only imagine it's just to mess with doctors who are going to do X-rays of you someday and then go, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, it's not there. What's up? I moved it. And this is actually this backwards. <laughs> in the case of pure just situs and versus, there. There would be no reason to know necessarily that this was true for you unless you just randomly got an x-ray or a CAT scan or some other kind of image and the doctor went, whoa, hey, everything's flipped. That's something's wrong with my machine. Yeah, you you may not. I mean, there, there is no reason to believe that this condition necessarily has any kind of pathology mm-hmm. related to it okay now and and sometimes it can what actually that? what do you mean by that it means it doesn't it doesn't cause you any harm okay. necessarily to have this it just is something that's good to know because when your doctor starts like examining your liver you can tell them hey hey buddy it's on the other side and then they'll look at you and say no 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 
I'm sorry, your liver's on this side. And then you say, no, 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 I've got situs and versus. And then your doctor's like, whoa, mind blown. Cool. I'm going to get everybody in here. So um. <laughs> here's the thing. Most of the time it's caught, caught incidentally. Now, in this particular question, it's interesting because the, I, the thought would be if everything's reversed, I mean, the organ is still the same. It still works the same. But all the, to put it in a term I think we could understand, all the hookups are in different places. Right. Right. Uh, from from wherever from where most people's would be. And so if you're talking about transplant, that provides a lot of extra challenges. Um, specifically, I want to focus on the heart because this is what I found some cases of are, are heart transplants for these patients. And actually, you can have just isolated where the heart is flipped. It's called dextrocardia. Where the heart is just flipped around, um, which is a whole other, I mean, it's a whole other thing. But anyway, if the heart, if you have situs inversus and you need a heart transplant, if you had to wait for a situs inversus donor to give you one, unfortunately, that that's a pretty dire, that's a dire picture we're painting. Yeah, that's a that's a, a quite quite a random chance. This occurs about one in ten thousand people, mm-hmm. and so the chances that you're going to get a donor in that case are are pretty slim. So no, you don't have to wait on a situs inversus donor, but it does make the surgery way more complicated because they have to figure out how to hook up all those veins and arteries when they're all positioned on the opposite side. It's like me trying to get the uh, my Sega CD working. Like, okay, this plug, the two power plugs look exactly the same, <laughs> but I know one of them will fry the Genesis and then the other one goes in the Sega CD. And then I've got this S-video cable that I think I need an adapter for. Yeah. It's exactly like that, except a human life is hanging in the balance. Okay, but my human life really wants to play <laughs> Sewer Shark. So... Kind of the same. Mm, no, but if I don't here, if I don't play Wirehead once a year, I'll die, Sydney. I'll die. Here's the good news. Uh, they have been able to do this. It takes it. It's a it's a more complex it's more complicated surgery, and sometimes you have to actually like get grafts of veins and and you know arteries and things from other places in the body to add on to make some wires longer. Mm-hmm. Some things need to be shorter. That kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we've done it. Humans have done this. So you don't have to wait for a situs inversus donor. You do have to wait for a donor, which we've talked about organ transplantation before can be a long wait. Right. No matter what your condition is. Um, but you don't have to wait for a situs inversus donor. We have the technology. We can rebuild you <laughs> with parts from just regular old human anatomy bodies. We have got a lot more questions to come. But uh, I, since I'm the one that gets this to this week, I'm the one who's going to tell you. Why don't you follow me to the billing department? All right. I guess I will. That's not what I say. Let's go. There we go. <laughs> the medicines, the medicines, that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan um but they got like fancy stuff listen to this where are you gonna get this truffle butter filet mignon i mean seriously 
from 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right, are you ready for another question, Sydney? Has your contraction subsided? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Is it true that chewing Excedrin, holding the chewed up medicine goo in your mouth for five minutes, and then swigging it and swallowing it all with a Coke helps the medicine work faster? That's from Nora. And I only know about this because I for, I remember Jack Torrance did it in uh, The Shining, the book. And it just the image of that was so buck wild to me that it's like stuck with me to this day. And I think if I remember correctly from the email, Nora blamed her dad for this. Is it her dad? This was, uh, your this was gran- her dad's your grandpa, this isn't chewing it, but your grandpa Dan told me that after, like, when he had a long shift or a long drive, he would do, like, Excedrin and then chocolate milk, like, pound it down with chocolate milk. I remember milk. that, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, let me let me preface with this. Generally speaking, here's my disclaimer. Take medicine the way the bottle or the doctor or whoever gave it to you. I mean, assuming that they're a licensed professional and not just, you know, like Joe on the street. Take medicine the way it is instructed to take. Okay. I mean, that's that's a general rule that's of thumb. what you would say. Well, of course. What are you hiding? There's a reason that it says to swallow certain pills and chew certain pills. and Oh, this. Okay, this one's going to work, isn't it? <laughs> This no, is I'm a not, thing, and I'm, this is why you're couching okay. it so much, because this one is a thing. I'm just saying, Okay, there are lots of reasons why a pill might specify the way that you should take it. For instance, there are lots of pills that say things like sustained release, long-acting, controlled dosing, extended release. All those things, if they're on a medicine, 
you should not mess with how you take them. If it says swallow, swallow. Generally, those are swallow pills. You swallow them. The reason is that they are made, physically made, to release slowly. And if you chew them or crush them, you have messed with that. And so you might get a big load of a dose all at once that you were supposed to get over 24 hours. Does that make sense? Yes. So don't mess with those. But. Also, some pills say enteric coated. And what that means is that they are made to survive the stomach because they're coated a certain way and dissolve in the small intestine because that's where you're going to absorb them. So if you chew them up, either they won't work at all or you might absorb them wrong or so they're not going to work. So in general, also, they taste really bad. That's another reason. If you you chew pills that are supposed to be swallowed, they tend to taste kind of bad. In general, please do not chew pills that say swallow. But in the case of Excedrin. If we're talking about the combination of aspirin, acetaminophen, which we tend to call Tylenol a lot, and caffeine, that is kind of a standard. For, they're different excedrins, but that's a standard formulation of excedrin. I, I can't tell you that there is an intrinsic danger in chewing it. Plain old Tylenol, acetaminophen, we could crush. And, and we know this because there are patients who can't swallow pills. And so we've learned what we can crush and what we can't. And a pharmacist can always be very helpful in telling you this, by the way. If you're at Walmart or Target or Kroger or CVS or Rite Aid or wherever you are. Come on, you got to know some other pharmacists. <laughs> go to the pharmacist and say, can I chew this? Can I crush this? They will know they can help you. But uh, aspirin specifically has been studied to see if it will work faster if you chew it than if you swallow it. Why? Because it's what we tell people to do in a heart attack. The thought being that if you chew an aspirin and can get it into your system faster that way, it could maybe help prevent clotting and help stop a heart attack faster than if you just swallowed them, which is why we will commonly tell you if you think you're having a heart attack, call an ambulance, but also chew some aspirin while you're waiting for them. You've probably heard that before. Yeah. So studies do show that aspirin works faster if you chew it, than if you swallow it. So theoretically, since aspirin is one of the active ingredients in Excedrin, perhaps it does work faster if you chew it than if you swallow it. The addition of Coke is probably just more caffeine. And generally speaking, if you're taking a medicine that already has caffeine in it, we tell you not to drink more caffeine with it. Now, depending on how much caffeine you drink in an average day, this might not matter for you. It's probably fine. Because caffeine's a... uh vasoconstrictor right <laughs> and that helps with headaches hey there you go for for some people not for all migraine sufferers but for some migraine sufferers caffeine can be very helpful um you need to be careful caffeine is a stimulant it's a drug you can't just willy-nilly take as much caffeine as you want and then throw it back with coke but that being said excedrin may work faster if you chew it i will still tell you please do not chew a medicine we tell you not to chew just all right, Dad. Just take we, it the way right, it says Dad, on the bottle. We get it. We and get if it. it's not working, go talk to your doctor because I can help you with migraines too. There's lots of stuff. Okay. I have another question here for you, Sydney. It is from Morgan and Laura. And it goes a little something like this Why does the pins and needles feeling happen when your feet slash hands slash other appendages fall asleep? I know, I think it's from lack of blood flow but why does it feel like that and that's from morgan and laura so that's a it's an interesting question Uh, the first of all you're kind of on the right track with lack of blood flow but it's it's not completely that 
when we get that sensation that one of our limbs has fallen asleep Mm -hmm. or that pins and needles feeling, whatever you want to call it, it's really an interruption in the signals between our nerves and our brain. So the nerves in whatever body part we're talking about in our fingers or toes or whatever in our brain. And this can be caused first and foremost by pressure on those nerves directly. So like there's a classic thing we call (laughs) Saturday night palsy in medical terms where if you, I mean, the idea is that you got drunk and you fell asleep over the back of a chair with like your arms slung over the chair. Mm -hmm. And so you wake up the next day and you can't move your arm in certain ways. And it's because you compressed your nerves over the back of the chair all night. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's a lot of it is you've been sitting in one position or laying in one position, you've been asleep, whatever. And the way that you chose to position your body, just compress those nerves, interrupted those signals long enough that your brain and your hand or foot or whatever aren't communicating. Okay. Now, the, the way that blood flow feeds into that is that you're also compressing the blood vessels that feed those nerves because nerves need oxygen, too, mm-hmm. and they get it from blood, from blood vessels. So, yes, blood flow is part of it because you've been compressing the, that blood flow. So those nerves haven't been getting oxygen either. Part of why they're asleep. Okay. Now, all that being said, why do you get the pins and needles sensation? That's kind of everything waking back up. Okay. Now, we call it pins and needles because that's what it feels like to us, like little prickly sensations. Those sensations are just the way it feels as your nerves start to wake back up and send signals to your brain that are incomplete and don't make much sense just yet. And so you don't know how to process them. And this just tends to be the way our our body experiences that. Okay. Now, the good news is for the vast majority of people, unless maybe you did fall asleep over the back of a chair all night long, it could take a little bit longer. But for most of us, if something falls asleep, you just kind of, you know, move it around, shake it out, stand up. It's unpleasant, though. It is unpleasant. But for most of us, it, it goes away after a few minutes. But uh, but those are just those nerves waking back up. That's it. That's all it is. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> you were hoping it was something much more dramatic. I okay. This is gonna sound stupid, but I always thought it was blood, and so like when it would start to come back, I always thought I could feel the blood like going back into the hand. There is, I mean, blood flow is part of it because when you compress the nerves, you probably were compressing blood flow too. Mm-hmm. But the the bigger issue is just the nerves themselves. Not so much the blood. I mean, because if you're, if you're, let me say this, if you deprived your limb of all blood flow for a significant period of time, it wouldn't just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would, but like forever. Got it. Gr- <laughs> gross. Um, um, I, can we, can we, before we do the closer one, which is my favorite, can we skip ahead to this one that you didn't know real quick? Okay. You just want to take a moment to drag me? That's just real cool. Quick. Simon asked, why do hospitals say not to eat before surgeries? You have 30 seconds to drag me. Go. I'm not dragging you. I just, I thought, I guess this is one of those areas where I thought like, oh, I think most people know that. I don't know if that'll be as interesting. Justin didn't know. 20 seconds. So in general, the reason we tell you not to eat before surgery is not because we're mean. Although we, some of us are mean, but that's not why. Because... If we're going to put you under any kind of general anesthetic, which we don't always, but sometimes things happen and we might need to. It, it You are at risk if you are completely asleep or paralyzed or we've had to put you on a machine to help you breathe during a surgery, that kind of thing. You're at risk for contents from your stomach coming up through your esophagus and then going back down into your lungs through your trachea. That's called aspiration. You are at lower risk for aspiration if your tummy's empty. 
that's it. We just want anesthesiologists really appreciate an empty tummy when they're going to do a surgery so that they know the risk of aspiration is lower. If it's an emergency, obviously all bets are off. We do what we got to do. But if we've got the time, we would much rather you have an empty tummy. Got it. Uh, thank you for enlightening me uh, and not shaming me publicly too bad. Uh, here's one that I'm real curious about, Sid. And this is going to be our last question from Billy. So here's a quick one. What's the adjective form of the word puss? Hold on. Pause for the listener to answer that question in their own head. Okay. And now go. Billy. 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 Come per- on, Billy. Pers- person after my own heart. I, I think you're looking for something that's going to be kind of outrageous. But here's the here's the boring medical fact. If if I'm talking about a wound that is full of what you're referring to as pus, which I mean, we say pus like I'm not I'm not going to pretend like doctors don't say pus. Of course we do. And when we say pus, let me say we're talking about thick, white drainage coming usually from like a wound or something and it's white because of all the white blood cells that are Mm -hmm. in it all those little heroic army cells that have come to challenge an infectious invader and have given their lives in the pursuit inspirationally and now they are leaking out of your body in the form of this white fluid that we would call purulent drainage so if a wound is full of pus it is purulent Sorry. There you go. Um, uh, that is not the answer I was hoping for, but. But that is the truth. Yeah, I guess. That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, that is going to do it for us, folks. That is an entire episode of Sawbones, the medical history show that we make. <laughs> That's true. And this will be my last um, pre- pregnant, ep- pregnant episode. Pregnant episode. Pregnant episode. <laughs> I like that bit of neologism. Pregnant episode. Um, we will be taking next week off. Yeah. Hopefully not the week after that, but like, listen, y'all. It gets ride or die in there. It get, it can get hairy. So I don't know. Hopefully everything goes as planned this coming week. And if you listen to Salmon's, you know, that it didn't shake out so great last week, last time. But Hey, well, okay. In the end it did because we have an amazing daughter who is happy and healthy and we're very lucky to have indeed um that being said we won't be here next week because we'll be having a baby yep and then hopefully we'll be back the week after and we'll tell you about how great it went yeah that's the plan god willing and the creek don't rise we are there the week after but uh that's gonna do it for right now thanks to max fun network for having us as part of their extended podcasting family you can go to maximumfun.org to find a lot of more great shows thank you to the taxpayers for letting us use their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program you can go buy their music uh, wherever fine music is sold which is the internet and uh that is going to do it for us so until next time my name is justin mcelroy i'm sydney mcelroy and as always don't drill a hole in your head MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.